Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Compliance Guy. As always, I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. It is unbelievable that we are now into the 10th month of 2023. Just a few more months to go until we reach, and with that said let me welcome my very good friend to this it's a hashtag terry tuesday episode so how are you my friend good morning i'm good happy tuesday everybody happy tuesday well you know it is tuesday i don't know how happy it is but it's a tuesday <laughs> you and i didn't have very good uh, football <laughs> outcomes over the weekend so we're still a little bummed about that but Onward. It's, it's yeah, early season. Greatest of outcomes. <laughs> it's early in the season. It is. It is. But you know, it's actually pretty funny because, you know, I was going through my my cousin's a huge Patriots fan and I'm a huge Dolphins fan. And, you know, we were kind of going through comparing schedules and everything. And, you know, I had said to him, you know, with the Dolphins going to Buffalo this weekend, listen, if they win that game on Sunday. They're going to cement their place in the AFC East as, you know, the team. But odds are, because Buffalo is so good, that they're probably going to lose this game. And sure enough, they did. They got embarrassed. So, um, anyways, enough about that, because what I don't want to do is, you know, get people all riled up that we're talking about. I know, right? Yeah, okay, we should be talking about compliance. So you had a really interesting topic when we uh, got on this morning, and we haven't really had a chance to talk it all the way through, which is why I love doing these podcasts with you, because, you know, we, we kind of talk about a topic and then we just say, let's you go. Do. And that's where we are. So, you know, today you said you wanted to talk about audits and, you know, the different types of audits and why a practice wants to do an audit or why a hospital wants to do an audit. And let me just pause there and kind of let you run with it out of the gate. And then I'll kind of jump in and, you know, fill in some, some, uh, you know, gaps along the way. Sounds good. Okay. So it's not audits in the traditional sense that we're going to give you a a boring soliloquy about, you know, how to audit. That's not what we want to talk about. What we want to talk about is, first of all, everyone, I should say, everyone, that's a bad way to put it, but a lot of practices understand in this climate of um, scrutiny, that's the best way to put it, with the payers, and it's not just Medicare. Medicare is a big one, but Medicaid is really on top of their providers 
And the commercial plans have seen how much money that Medicare has recouped. And they're like, wait, maybe we can too. And so um, one of the things that I noticed is when a private practice, private hospital, physician clinic, whatever you want to call, when, when they come to URIs, you know, and I notice this with, with clientele that I've received, they don't really have an objective as far as why they want the audit. I hear things like, well, I need you to find me some money. Well, if that's the reason you're going into an audit, stop right there. Because that, you know, only if you have an inkling that maybe somebody had told you that this is how you code it, you've been coding it this way forever, and then all of a sudden you realize there are new codes or other codes or whatever. And let's face it, when codes evolved, it's usually because somebody got wind, you were getting paid a lot, and so they started combining services. So it's usually not on the flip side. But what I have found is that Many practices don't have objectives when hiring somebody to review or audit. We don't have to call it an audit. We can call it a review of records, whether it be uh, coding compliance, billing, whether it be physician documentation. Um, it can be E&M services, which are the evaluation and management visit codes, either in the office or hospital. It can be surgery op reports. But I'm, I'm noticing that nobody puts together first or gets together with their you know, internally and says, yeah, we need to get an audit. And it's like, what do you want from it? Not, not, why are you doing it necessarily? What do you want from it? Are you looking for that compliance piece that you're doing it correctly? Um, maybe you are looking for, you know, um, lost revenue because you have inquired with a PE group, a private equity group. And they said, well, we can't really do anything with your practice because it's not worth what you said. And you're thinking what, or maybe you are concerned because something did pop up on maybe a, a Medicare webinar you took, maybe of mine, and it said, incident two doesn't work that way. And you're like, uh-oh, we've been doing it wrong. Or maybe you're, you know, trying to figure out um, some other compliance thing. But the thing that, that I think Sean and I want to talk about is that what, first of all, what do you want from that audit? And now let's say you go forward with it and you get those results, what do you do with those? Even if you don't like them or they're not favorable or they're you know not what you expected, do you shove it under the rug? Do you address it with your staff? Do you talk to your physicians about it? Do you have a corrective action plan? Does the reviewer auditor have one for you? So these are kind of the topics that I wanted to throw out there, Sean, because I think it's important before a practice goes into the expense of a review or an audit that they do ask themselves that question and at least make themselves an outline and be on the same page with the person they've hired for that audit. What do you want from this and what are you going to do with the results? Yeah. So I'm always, I always tell people to take a pause, right? When they bring up the topic of conducting an internal audit. Because for me, you know, like you were saying, it, it, it comes down to understanding what's your end game? What is your end goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you conducting the audit because you want to look for a skills gap in your coders, auditors, providers? Are you looking for an audit to provide education on new, you know, CG 
you looking to audit, you know, for certain types of high risk services like infusion or incident to or split shared services or ENMs or modifiers or whatever it might be, right? And then the question becomes, are we auditing because we are concerned based on our financials that we're leaving money on the table and we're either looking to confirm or refute that? Are we concerned because somebody brought to our attention that we may be doing something inappropriate that could rise to the level of a false claims act allegation and to try to get out ahead of it in the event that we have to do a voluntary refund or we have to do an OIG self-disclosure, we can, you know, we can conduct the audit, find a problem or problems ourselves, or we can refute the allegation that there's something going on that shouldn't be going on. Right. Then the question becomes, how are we going to select our audit sample, right? Are we going to do a non-probability sample or what's referred to as a convenient sample where maybe we pick the last 30 or 60 of those types of services that were performed and because we're not looking for repeatability, we're not looking for reliability, we're not looking for point estimates or, you know, the upper or lower bounds of a confidence interval. You know, we're not looking for post-audit extrapolation. So, you know, we're just doing a convenient sample or are we, you know, have we conducted a probe sample and determined that, you know what, we need to expand this probe because we think there is a problem there. But look, and, before, before you actually yeah, get into that, ahead. let me just comment on something. One thing, one reason, and then I know Sean, Sean and I are not trying to say, you know, use us, but we are here if you need us. And the reason we do say that is because I do see some practices and I want to word this. I know we have to be a little bit politically correct or at least sensitive to our listeners. So I want to word this in the right way, but I, I know some people may take it a little bit offensive and it's not meant to be at all. But think of your role in your practice. Are you a coder? Are you a biller? If you're not somebody who does reviews or you don't know what to look for, try not to um, you know, skate by this. Try not to just get by. I'm trying to think of the phrase people use, wing it. Don't wing it. Because I see that happen a lot where you know, a physician will say, well, I'm going to have my coder do an internal review. Well, there's a problem right now with something called AI, artificial intelligence. And what it does, it, it hallucinates. Basically, you can put in a couple of words and then it pretends to know what the physician or provider is going to say next. Well, if you've worked for a provider long enough, you kind of know what they meant to say. You know what this record should have looked like. And I see that a lot where I'll see a coder or a biller or even the, the doctor's, you know, partner, wife, whatever, or husband or, you know, spouse, whatever. And they'll say, well, I did an internal audit and I'll look at the record and I'll be like, and remember, we're independent. We have no stake in it. You're paying us regardless. We, you, you, you can't really fire us from your, you know, your, your business. If you hire us, it's like, you're, we're here to do a job and we're just giving you the facts. But you do have staff that can be a little bit intimidated. Maybe they might lose their job if they don't give you what you want to hear. And so what I see a lot of times is the person that's been tagged to do this review. And let's call it a review. Audit really is what the payers are doing. We're doing a review. And so let's say somebody does that review internally and that's not their expertise. You may be a coder, but you may not understand what to look at 
you know, statistically valid sample and the, and the language Sean used and, and how to really look at something. And because you've worked for your provider for a long time, you may give them the benefit of the doubt. You can't do that in a review. You have to look at it in a, in a black and white way. And sometimes I'll see, I actually saw this recently where a doctor was absolutely overcoding. Everything was a level five. It was ridiculous. And the staff says, well, I reviewed everything. I reviewed um, 150 records. I've looked at everything and they're all level fives. So I then re-reviewed it and actually 42% were level fives because even though this was an oncology practice, even though the patients may have had cancer, many of the patients were now done with chemo. Um, they were coming in today as a surveillance visit today. They were not having any new complaints. They didn't have anything added to their treatment plan. And they were, again, just being surveillanced and monitored for their next visit. And they were, you know, act, uh, told that they could now uh, incorporate new activity daily living. Um, they were actually modifying their medication a little bit. And a lot of these patients were level fours. And so I said, where are you getting the level five? And everybody always does this. Well, the patient is, has cancer, so they're complex. I'm like, it's not about the complexity of the patient. It's about the complexity of the encounter. It's about the risk of the encounter today. So, and this is where I think sometimes, and I, that's why I compared it to AI. I think sometimes the internal staff, as much as we love you and we wouldn't be here without you, you need to sometimes look at an external auditor, somebody you trust and make sure they also know your specialty because you know you, you need to have somebody who stays in their lane and there's nobody who knows every specialty if they say they do they're not, they're not telling the truth and so um find somebody that can look at something objectively and that that's what they do that that is what their role is they they are an auditor they are a reviewer they're somebody that does this on a daily basis not somebody that basically the doctor said pull some records and make sure i'm doing this right and you, you know, as a staff member, you want to tell your doctor positive information. We do too, by the way, just don't get me wrong there. We do too. I mean, I love when I have an audit and I'm like, well, guess what? We got some good news here. It's not very often, but it is, it does happen. Isn't but Sean, I mean, don't you see that sometimes where you'll go into a practice and they say, well, we did an internal audit and we're hundred um, percent or Blue Cross was just here and, and we didn't have any issues. And then you look at everything from your perspective because you've, you know, you've been involved in so many, especially on the, the federal government side. So have I. And we're like, who told you that these are OK? <laughs> because this is not good at all. Yeah. You know, I think I think the most important thing is to separate fact from fiction. Right. And. When somebody tells me, oh, we just went through an audit and we were 100 percent. It kind of makes me pause. Right. Who's a hundred percent? Yeah. I mean, nobody's a hundred percent, right? One, we're all infallible. We're human. We make mistakes. Please. My wife reminds me every morning, the moment I open my eye, she reminds me that I am going to make mistakes today <laughs> and that I should begin my day by apologizing for whatever mistake <laughs> I'm going to make. <laughs> um, but, you know, little, I think I'm look, a little I must be a little nicer than Jill. I have to tell Tom, I'm like, you know, I don't I don't remind him that at the end of the day is when I, do, I hit the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact is, look, you know, we you know, an insurance company coming in to do an audit has a narrow focus. Right. 
specifically on a high target like infusion or urine drug screens or you know something along those lines they're not looking at the practice holistically they're not looking at every aspect of it so when somebody says oh you know blue cross blue shield was just here and we had an audit and we're 100 percent okay well you may have done really well and you may have scored 100 percent on that specific focused review so i think what it comes down to is and, and 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 before i get to that i think one of the things that is so important in my mind is that when you set out to conduct an audit because you believe that there is something that either is a problem or you want to refute could be a problem you've got to do it under privilege you've got to get it under an attorney so that the work product is protected the privilege is protected to the extent of the state law where you reside two you have to make a determination if we know that there is a problem we have to look we have to go based on the look back so we know from medicare six years we have to look at the statute right 6402a of the affordable care act for guidance on the medicare voluntary refund we need to make a determination as to our statistically valid random sample we need to understand the universe our sample frames we need to test them we need to figure out our point estimate our uh, error rate all of these different things and then how to calculate the post-audit extrapolated damages so you know there's there's a lot of really smart folks out there that do this kind of stuff and if it's something that you are contemplating doing reach out to terry reach out to me reach out to somebody else who you consider to be a trusted resource in your circle of subject matter experts and start a dialogue and figure out the path that you want to go and then devise a plan with your advisor and carry it out and see where it takes you sometimes those areas where you think you have the biggest problems you're actually compliant it's the ones where you don't think you have a problem that turn out to be your biggest headaches hiding in a dark well alley. and also make sure that you sit down with your team or even if it's just you and your physician and determine why are you going to do a review to begin with is, is it because you've never had one that's a good reason um and then what are you going to do with the outcome that's the biggest thing if there's findings that you don't agree with or not favorable, I shouldn't say you don't agree with. If you don't agree with them, sit down and talk to the person who did the review and then make them go over the results with you um, so that you can understand that. But if they turn out to be unfavorable, you're going to have to follow because now it's in writing. And so you, you need to make sure you're dealing with that. But the other thing, and I, I just wanted to bring up what, what Sean and I were talking about with that Blue Cross thing. I see that a lot where somebody says, yeah, um, Blue Cross was just here and we got 100%. And I said, really, can I see that audit review? And they said, well, that we just didn't hear anything. So no news is good news. I'm trying not to laugh, but I'm like, okay, first of all, when you don't hear anything after an audit, it's lurking. <laughs> so 
unless you have contacted them and said, what is my result from what you just pulled in my practice? And it's usually 30 notes. That's like their MO. Then you, you need to get that in writing. If before you start saying we passed hundred percent, it doesn't mean just because you haven't heard in 60 days, I've seen blue cross come back in a year later and go, Oh, remember that audit we did last year? Here's your results. Now, uh, we're going to now, um, not allow you to be part of our provider panel. So, you know, they're also, I, I noticed that there is, there's a payer here in California. They're doing, oh, it's terrible. They're doing these reviews on physicians and then they're comparing it to patient surveys. And it's like, wow. So they're comparing it to opinion surveys of patients to actual, what the documentation says. And I'm telling you, it is messed up. So I think just to wrap this up, what Sean and I want you to take from this is first of all, make sure that and this is part of your compliance program that you are doing external. And we're going to say external first internal and external reviews. You need to do that. Be like Sean said, be in front of it, be on top of it, get out in front of it first. And then the next thing, make sure you have an agreement within all the staff, the providers that whatever the audit findings are, that you will put together a corrective action plan, either with the person that did it or the person that did the review or within your company. And then the third thing, if there were findings that were unfavorable, you need to revisit it. Whether it be six months, a year, you need to go back and see, has the behavior changed? You know, and are there now repercussions for people who don't follow your new compliance model? So I'm going to leave it there, but I just think it's important that you, when you engage for an audit, when you engage for a review, that you know what you're getting yourself into and that you figure out what you want from it. A lot of times it can be positive, but if it comes out unfavorable, you need to be, have a heads up and understand what that means. Absolutely. I, I couldn't say it any better. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Compliance Guy, our hashtag Terry Tuesday segment. As always, I want to say thank you to my very good friend, Terry Fletcher, for spending some time with me and to each and every single one of you. Thank you so much again for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with us for a little while. I'll be back later this week with some more episodes of The Compliance Guy. So until then, remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.